Uh, you're listening to the Bigger Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Polisino, and today we're here with Matt Edmondson. How are you today, bro? I'm doing really well, thank you. Solid 7 out of 10. Loving it. Oh, 7 out of 10. Is mm. it because of the weather? Yeah. First warm weekend in ages. But it's like spring, so it should be w- warm, yeah, I guess. This weekend's been hotter than like usual. We've got like our first heat wave. I think like this is too hot for spring. Not that I'm complaining, absolutely loving it still. But, um, and all the flowers are out as well. Spring is by far my most favorite season. How come? Oh, just all the flowers. And just like the perfect temperature. It's not too hot, not too cold. Right, yeah. Um, just good balance. Do you have a favorite season? Um, Maybe, I hate summer. Like, yeah. like Wangrad is not the best place for summer because it's so hot. So I'd probably say like autumn. Autumn's yeah, nice. Autumn's if you beautiful. If you go around the areas, like Bright yeah. is really nice. Um, but yeah, but you've been to recently Hamilton Island. Yeah, in Queensland. Now that was, uh, that was stunning. So yeah, I went with uh, close family members. So I went with my sister, Annie Kim and Nanny. And it's just, imagine like a Hollywood tropical paradise island. So did you go to a resort? It's, it's a resort. Yeah, Hamilton Island is a resort. Yeah, right. Um, about, I think the total route, if you took like every road around the island, but don't quote me, this is like four kilometers. Right. So it's quite a small, small island, but big enough that you don't feel cramped with anyone out. Um, and yeah, it's just like palm trees, beautiful beaches, like straight off the beach, you got um, snorkeling. I got to see like a turtle oh, every day, which oh, I nice. loved. That uh, was a good flex to have because everyone else was struggling, but I was right. the turtles. Uh, not very good swimmers in the family, I'm guessing. Um, Arnie Kim uh, is not the best swimmer. Okay. Uh, she, and, well, we grew up, my family, immediate family grew up not too far from the beach. Right. So we're an aquatic family, we call ourselves. And so we're quite good at swimming. Um, right. But, yeah. I'm well, not, because, just, only because you grew up in Mentone, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we did life-saving there. Yeah. So we grew up swimming. So how long have you been a well a, a lifeguard for? Well, I never quite made it to the lifeguard position. Um, but my brother, he did do lifeguarding. I'm not sure when you can officially start uh, working in between the flags, but he stopped about when he was 22. So right. So we've done it for about five years or so. Right, okay. And then you just sort of like took after him and stuff? No, I, I kind of stopped when I was 13 with life saving. Right. From ages of like little nippets of 5 to 13, I was always swimming and competing for Mentone Life Saving Club. Okay. But then once you reach age 16, you start working. I think it's age 16, you start working in between the flags and helping out. Oh, right. Um, yep. Yeah, 16 and 18. No, fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, do you want to talk about some Mentone stories? If you legends. want to. Yeah, I don't, I don't know many local legends. Uh, unfortunately, there wasn't many kids my age growing up in Mentone. It's a bit of an older demographic. Mm. So I didn't... I made more friends... I made, made more friends with uh, people in Cheltenham, usually, because okay. I went to Cheltenham Primary School. And they had a park around there. It was a lot more younger family demographic. So that's where I had all my childhood memories. Right. So one thing we did was... Uh, play at uh, Shipton Soccer Ground mm. um, after soccer because that's me and my friends did soccer growing up. Um, there was one soccer ground. It was connected to a golf course and between the two courses there was actually quite a bit of bushland. And that's we had our secret base in like a massive, I don't know what species it was, it was a massive thorny bush. And mm. basically we dug under it and hollowed it out on the inside. 
Yeah, right. And that's, that was our base. Like we had an entrance you climb under and no one could get in um, because they'd have to climb through like brambles and stuff. Would it still be there now? I haven't checked in ages. <laughs> I've got, I definitely got to go back and check. I imagine a lot of kids have their secret bases there because <laughs> we weren't the only one in that forest. There was actually oh, really? two other groups. Yeah, I right. There was a group of four, there was a group of three, and there was another group of five. And we, because it was near a golf course, um, there was like a competition amongst all the little groups there for kids. And each, each uh, group had their own little secret base. And who could collect the most golf balls? Was the oh, bush, wow. Because the golfers would hit the balls yes. into the bushland. And yeah, there'd be heaps there. And it was almost like a currency. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a competition who could collect the most. And one time my group was raiding someone else's uh, base when they weren't there. And we found like like 15 golf balls on top. Oh, wow. And like static. Okay, we're, putting, we're getting the golf balls. And one of my friends, as he was lifting up, like he lifted up, put his hands into the hole and like, lifted up all these golf balls. One of the golf balls rolled out and made like a thud. Right. It wasn't a thud like against soil. It was a thud against something else. We got really confused. And so like we lifted up the car, we lifted up the bottom and it was actually just cardboard. And underneath the cardboard was even more golf balls. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, created, they created a false bottom. So rather than 15, we got another, th- we got another 15 golf balls. So we got ended up with 30 golf balls. And then we stole their golf balls and took it back to our base. Right. Yeah. So what? how old would you have been there? Like primary school? Oh, yeah. No, this is... Yeah, primary school, really. Five and six. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So grade five and six. Any any other ones? Um, they retaliated. Um, they're a little bigger than us. And they ended up getting... You know those with the forklifts, the shipping pellets? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got one of them and together threw it on top of our base. Right. They used that to climb over the brambles. Okay. And then they could hop into the center of our base and they stole the golf ball. So it was like a war. Yeah, it was just stealing each other's, each other's golf balls. Did that happen in the school holidays? I would hope so. This would happen during like the weekends in soccer. Like after you finish playing soccer, ship it to soccer ground, right. and you go into the bushlands with your friends. And- so you played soccer like all your life then? I've played from when I was quite young. Yeah, the glory days are definitely, you know, grade four, five, six. And I, yeah, I did all the way until VCE. Yeah. I stopped at the start of BCA. Nice. Yeah, so I did it for a long time. So the glory days aren't this year? No. <laughs> I found that soccer is a bit of a perishable skill. And um, yeah, definitely not as good as I once was. Did you Did you hear our coach won coach of the year? I did. Carlo Shanko. Good on him? Yeah, good on him. no, good on him, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, did you hear his speech? I haven't, no. Oh, okay. Uh, well, he had to redo his speech. So, uh, do you have a yeah. right? Yeah, probably or something uh-huh. like that. But I mean, we had a pretty good season, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we just missed out on finals, but I mean, considering everything that happened at the start of the year, mm. did not too bad. Yeah, the comeback was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, did a lot better in the later half of the year. Um, originally, I thought that was just because we got the you know the new European player uh, Matteo in. Yeah. But then, even when he was away, the team still did really good against teams previously they lost quite badly to. Yeah. So like the whole team was improving. It wasn't just the addition of like a quite a good player. Yeah. The whole team was improving, which yeah, it was good. Good to see. I think I think next year will be even better because all our like we're probably the youngest team in the tournament. Mm-hmm. They said. Um, so we're just going to keep getting better. I think that's it. You guys, yeah, a lot of young boys and they're only yeah. going to get bigger 
better and stronger. Yeah. And yeah, a common problem is that because we have younger players, lighter players, they do get bumped off the ball. Yes. I think that was our biggest problem. Yeah. Um, Yeah. If you look at a defense, that is where the older blokes are. Yeah. And they, the defense, arguably one of the strongest part of the team. Defense did very well this year. I think so. I think that's because they're able to not get bumped off the ball, which is an extremely important thing as a defender. Mm. So as the kids get older and um, as the younger gentlemen get older and in the midfield and strikers, they won't get bumped off the ball as much. It'll be just as good as the defense. And also, like, the average age for our midfield and attack is, like, probably, like, 20 years old. Yeah. Like, including all the underaged uh, people, so... Yeah. I think I think next season's looking good. Are you playing next season or are you moving on? Um, I'm off to Melbourne. I'm heading home. You're heading yeah. home. Going to start studying as a teacher, which I, I told my family that decision and I told, um, more importantly, work that decision to make it official. And and then next, like a couple of days later, Dan Andrews revealed that teaching in Victoria University degrees, a master's in teaching, will be free. Wow. So it's like the universe is like... I approve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I took that as a good sign. And So what are you thinking of studying? I'll be t- studying chemistry and biology. Wow. Becoming a yeah, chem and bio teacher. Nice. Um, I've spent the last four years in agriculture though. So that's a little side thing I could do. Well, I mean, biology and agriculture are quite similar things if you really think about it. They build on each other. So... Mm. Both very broad terms, but, you know, my job as a research agronomist, understanding biology has been, you know, very helpful understanding how the chemistry works with the plants, mm. um, particularly different herbicide groups. Yeah. Um, and a farmer can go into that much detail as well, and they probably do, the, the more serious farmers. Right. Um, so, yeah, they build off with each other. It's good. So, what do you, like, exactly do with your work? Like, so you research plants to then, like, is it sort of like a genetically modified sort of thing? Or can you just elaborate on, like, what you do? Yeah, so research agronomy, you can break down the term. So agronomists are people who, like, advise in uh, growing crops. Hmm. And then you add research onto that. It's like a researcher agronomist or an agronomist who is researching how to grow better crops. Right. Uh, so we are contractors at, at my job. And what that means is that big chemical companies and plant breeding companies like Syngenta, Longreach, Bayer, they'll come to us with some research or some questions they might have, like, hey, we've got this chemical. Is it as good as our other chemical? Mm. And they'll give us this question. They'll give us the product and we'll test it out. So they'll give us, we'll sit down with them and get something called a protocol, which tells us... Um, exactly what they want done and as I say so what crop do you want on they said they want on wheat they want to see how good it is against ryegrass this is the concentrations they want on that this is what they want the wheat sown at Um, do you want canola as well not just wheat Um, what time of sowing do you want it how much fertilizer do you want it all these questions we run through it all and then we grow it during the season wow and so we'll test this chemical so chemical A we'll see if it's good as chemical B and then we'll test it against our crop that's received no chemical called the control Right, yeah. So, who, who creates the chemicals? Like, are people in the labs yeah. and stuff? A lot of, so yeah, the big chemical companies, Bayer, Tendendra, and whatnot, they'll create the chemicals, uh, which usually come from Germany. So, oh, cool. along the pipeline, 
I say usually comes from Germany, but it can come from anywhere. Um, along the pipeline, it would be made in Germany. And generally, by the time it gets to us, we know it's safe for humans. Uh, like we do have all the PPE, we have the respirators. Yeah, the I would hope so, not. because yeah. you might die in that, in yeah. that situation. Yeah. And we do work with some harsh stuff. You know, we're careful, we all know what we're doing. Um, but yeah, by the time it gets to us, they already know a little bit about it. They already know. Yeah. Because doing all that, all that, well, growing a crop is quite time-consuming and expensive. So by the time it gets to us, they kind of know that the products, there's something in it. Like there's potential yeah. there because they're spending a bit of money really making sure that there is something there. Yeah, right. Um, wow. Yeah, so that's the chemical side of it. And then you do have the plant breeding side of it. And that's just as interesting. So particularly, yeah. So imagine a crop, especially a loved crop like uh, wheat, canola, barley, oats. They're always trying to improve it trying to make disease resistance, yield, drought tolerance, lodging, which is when lodging is when the wheat falls over. Mm. You can't harvest it when it's on the ground. It has right. to be standing up. So they breed for that. So all these different traits that we're breeding for, but they don't know how well the new seed does until they try it and give it a go. So we plant it for them. So we end up with these massive grids. So each plot is about 2 metres by 12 metres. And sometimes, and then we'll have another grid with a different plant. Sorry, another plot with a different plant, and then another plot with a different plant, different plant, different plant. Or I mean, different plant, like different uh, genetics. Yes, yeah. yes. And that can go on for almost like a kilometer sometimes. There's <laughs> all these different ones, and then six ranges up. So six ranges up, and then lots and lots of plots long, and then we. It's almost like a competition between the plants, which which plant does the best, which has the best yield disease resistance, which one has the best yield. You know, we'll look at all of that and then we'll record the data and we'll send the, this is both for chemical and breeding. We'll write up, a, actually not really with for breeding, but with the chemical work, we'll write a report saying this is how your product went and we'll let them know. Um, but the client is in con- constant communication. It's rarely yeah. ever a surprise. They often know how it's going during the season. And yeah, it's very interesting. So how many people are in the team? Do you have a team of people? Yeah, so my company is all over uh, Australia. And in my specific branch, there's five people. Okay. Four, sorry. Four people. And uh, over summer, during harvest, we get in some casuals oh, cool. as well to help. Some, uh, like, um, what do you call it? Oh, I forgot the word. Yeah, so like, you know how people, like, pick, you know, fruits oh, and yeah. stuff. Uh yeah, similar, uh, but... Seasonal workers. There it. we go. Seasonal yeah. workers. I got there. Got there. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, it's mainly just uni students. Okay, cool. Yeah. And that'll just help. Because, you know, I mentioned how the plot is, you know, it's two metres wide by 12 metres long. We have a tiny little harvester that will harvest exactly that much. Oh, cool. Goes into a bucket. Mm. That bucket gets weighed. And then we can say, that's how much that plot made. And then we'll test the grain quality as well. And then we'll get the harvester will collect another plot, and then we can compare the buckets. Like this one yielded a lot more wheat, yeah, had better grain quality. So we know that this bucket, the first bucket, that plot, that wheat, that variety, was better. So what's the best? Like, is it the yield that you look at the most? Yeah, that's a good question. It's what do the farmers want? Yeah, right. It's a business; so they want money. That's true. And they get money from yield, so the amount of weight they can get. And also from quality. Right. So the protein content as well. Nice. The plants do get diseases and we... 
can't describe it. We do, yeah, it's such a big industry and so many different types of trials that I can't say one thing generically, uh, one thing um, blanket, <coughs> blanketly, if that's a word. And so, yeah, some trials we won't help out in terms of diseases, like fungicides. Okay. Um, we won't help them because we really want the disease to be prevalent in that trial. So we can really see how the plant's genetics cope without any help. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but for the long breeding trials, like nut grow exactly like a farmer would. And so which means fungicides during the good years. So how many uh, farms do you go to? Heaps. Um, <laughs> we, we have... I'm going to take a guess at about like 40 different farms that we'll go to. Hmm. Like over this span of a year? Yeah. Or, yeah, right. Yeah. So we have about a two and a half hour radius from Korowa. Mm. And we'll drive, you know, we have one in Echuca, a uh, trial in Echuca, and we have one down in Doogie. Right. Uh, so, so you're traveling everywhere. Traveling is a big part of the job. Yeah. You do spend a bit of time traveling. So to... do you all go carpool or do you just drive separately, I guess? Or... Um, most jobs you do yourself. Okay. You're able to do yourself, but when you can't, then yeah, you just, everyone hops in the car and goes and does it together. Nice. Yeah. Uh, well, I sort of want to go back to Mentone because mm-hmm. like, you know, you, you moved, you know, in this area for not many, like not much time. Yeah. Probably stayed here for about six months. Yeah. Yeah. About that. So what made you decide, oh, I just want to like move on? I got a little bit, um... So, yeah, I still did the same job when I was in Narrabri, which is central New South Wales. Oh, cool. And, oh, central northern New South Wales. And I did the job there for about two years, a little bit more. And then I thought, oh, it might be better to move closer to the family while I do this. And so it was an easy move because I didn't have many possessions. It was just a van. Right. And it was such an easy transfer because it was within the same business. And I also love the region here. It is oh, a right. beautiful region. As you said, in autumn, because we might be able to see the, all the bright trees Mm. And the different shades, all the chlorophyll, leave the leaves, and all these beautiful pigments left over, and oh, it's stunning. Um, so it's yeah, probably it's not probably like the coast, though. It's not like no, the yeah. coast. Yeah, the coast is beautiful. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to moving back there. Um, like you grow up along the coast, and like you try not to take for granted, but there's nothing you can do. You can't take for granted. And now that I have moved out for such a long time. I feel I can go back and like, I'm really looking forward to living on the coast again. Yeah. I know what it's like. And I'm, yeah, super looking forward to it. So you said you wanted to be a, well, not a, like, like a traveler. You want to travel everywhere, like, you know, and, and live in your van <laughs> or live in a car and just travel the coast. Uh, that would be an ideal holiday for me. And I oh. do love, I got these combi socks because I just love combis. Oh, nice. So like, um, yeah, just the whole combi vibe to it, like a double bed in the back and going around I get on you. the coast. That would be a really good holiday. And have like a barbecue. So much good technology these days, these days that makes it so convenient. Oh, yeah. A little fold-out barbie. And see, that would be a good holiday for me, but while I'm studying, I'll be pretty stationary. I wouldn't mm. be traveling too much at all. That's mainly like a money-saving scheme, but considering like for the first time, my uni will be all online, I can't see why I can't get a little saddle, I don't know, what is it? Tesla satellite? All oh, right. What is Starlink? That's it. Yeah, yeah, Starlink. Put it on top of a van and travel while I study. Yeah, I get you. I, some people have done that and I just had that thought then. That sounds actually really cool. I reckon that's quite expensive though. I, I've it always is, heard yeah. it's really hard to install Starlink. Really? Like it's really expensive. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it's very expensive, but everything else is like five stars, like the speed and the yeah. setup and the convenience, apparently. So 
do you sort of know what course you want to do or yeah so like uh, at a uni Latrobe University offers the Nexus program mm. and what that is is the Australian government going we're going to run out of teachers we need yeah. more teachers into the into to be able to get into universities make it a little bit easier and then you'd be able to finish university quicker so the Nexus program through Latrobe University with the government is an accelerated master's program so rather than two years it's 1.5 Oh, cool. And yeah, and you start teaching in the classroom almost immediately. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so it's term two, it's far from what I understand. Term two is one day in the classroom, then turns three and four. You're looking at like three or four days in the classroom. Yeah. Um, right. You are getting paid for those hours. Oh, cool. Like 80% of what an assistant teacher would get. It's not much at all, but it does help. Yeah, like, right. Um, well, I mean, no one wants to be teachers anymore. They really don't. Yeah. Well, the the problem is, and it's it's not getting teachers through uni. That's the problem. It's keeping them in there. Yeah, I think it's is it the kids? I reckon it's the kids. The kids. kids. (laughs) Yeah, class discipline is almost impossible these days. So, how will you? I guess you're at the starting stages of of um, everything, but like, how will you sort of? Direct a classroom. Yeah, that, that's actually been frequently on my mind. Um, I, it feels a little bit like a, everyone's rushing out of the building. I'm kind of just walking into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm there is a little bit. Of, is this a good idea? But I've always wanted to do teaching. The reason I went to ag and science in the industry first was to just get that industry experience. I would have felt a little bit, a little bit like a not like a fraud, but I can like go to the kids and say. Like, this is a real experience that I'm teaching you. This will actually be useful. Yeah. So that's, I've always wanted to be a teacher and even though it will be difficult, isn't going to really sway that opinion. Mm. Um, as for the class discipline strategies, I was a swim teacher for a couple of years at uni. Those were the younger kids. So young kids were easier. You'd be like, See, I, three warnings and then sit them up on the wall if they were too naughty. See, with biology, you'll be doing high school. You have to do high school, yes, <laughs> or or university. Yeah, it takes a lot more research yeah. um, to start teaching at a university, uh, which is on the cards for me. But currently, I've always had my mindset on secondary school teaching, uh, and I just want to give it a good crack. I think and mm. the good thing about the program, next program, is that you know you start teaching while you're studying, and with it being free. There's actually not, there's no cost to it. So I can really yeah. decide whether or not I want to become a teacher and whether or not I will like it by the time, by the end of the program. Well, it's probably good to just have it anyway, like yeah. as on the resume. Yeah. Well, the cost is just the time, yeah. which in your twenties time is actually a bit of a, well, any time in your life, time is a valuable resource, but definitely worth the cost. And I'm still grateful that it's free. Um, as for class discipline, don't know what I'm going to do. I think <laughs> <laughs> biology, I'm biased because I love science, but yeah. I, Kids misbehave and something's not interesting. I uh, know I'm saying like, of course I find it interesting, but not everyone is. <laughs> but with the right experience, experiments, particularly in chemistry, you can do the most incredible things that can inspire a kid. Yeah. And like, how does that work? And these days teaching, especially the schools I have in mind, it's changing a little bit. Um, Europe, European schools, for example. Wow. Um, they... We'll have like a list from what I understand. And they'll have like a, I'll show these kids in a science class, what do you want to do? These are like, let's look at rockets. Like we love rockets. And the teacher will design the science um, schedule all around it. 
Yeah, so, right. they'll look, so they'll study rockets, they'll study um, the physics behind getting the rocket up there, they'll study the biology of like a human in space. And so it's like almost tricking the kids into studying all aspects of science, but through something they want to do. Yeah. And so I think schools are slowly heading that way, for, for some schools are heading that way, and so it's a little bit easier to keep a child engaged if they want to do it. Like, you know, if you have to, if you're about to clean the dishes, and then someone says, go clean the dishes. Some of you don't want to clean the dishes. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. It's sort of like a, a self-motivation mm. to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, so it's same thing with high school students, you know. It's like, you want to learn chemistry. And someone says, we're doing this. And you come like, oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I, I don't want to do it. I think with VCE, it's especially good because you can pick your classes. So everyone doing chemistry or biology or whatever science course, they they chose it so they want to do it. Yeah. So that's a bit of a bonus, but I think all the other year levels, you can't choose. So it's a bit difficult. That would be the most difficult age group to deal yeah. with, I think. On top of that, seven year seven and eight boys are just notoriously hard to like. Yeah. Have class to. I mean, you would hate it. You would have hated me. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, I'm not worried about the VCE kids. Um, they've all got a lot of them that feel the pressure of. VCE and having to focus on the career and start making important decisions, but the year sevens, are, the year sevens and eights around burning gas and yeah. different chemicals. And well, there was the uh, Bunsen burner license. I love there. that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's like a formal. I'm actually not sure how legal it got. I think it was just like a pen license, wasn't it? And it was just this, there's no way the school could dodge any legal. Um, repercussions if a kid did lab, yeah. lab on fire. I remember it was just a test. I remember it was just a yeah. test and then like a written test and then you had to just do a little thing with fire. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It just teach kids that they are dangerous and there's like responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the whole thing behind it. So that was, I think that was year seven. Yeah. Year yeah. seven. Yeah. It would be. But yeah, no, that was a bit of a throwback, I yeah. would say. Yeah. <laughs> Take me back as well. That's yeah, was a while ago. Are you into like, I guess like, like astronomy? No, I never got too into astronomy. Um, no, I haven't learned too much about it at all. Is that I, your area of expertise? Or no, is that what you like about science? I think I think that's one of them. Mm. I think oh well, just like life in general, like biology, life. I mm. think um really fascinates me like life on other planets that type of stuff yeah like you know the the universe is so big it's it's endless mm. well you know scientists have said uh like surely there's life mm. do, but, do you, do you but think also why hasn't it found us yet or why haven't we found it yet and, and imagine if there's like new technology on other planets and stuff wouldn't that be a boost like oh whole, like, imagine whole other civilization with a whole completely different type of technology and just many up and imagine the how the world would change yeah <laughs> but imagine if it was exactly the same like they've discovered electricity like we have they've got plasma tvs like we have like it's almost exactly the same technology that would but how about if it's different so like like super different yeah. where you can like teleport or something like oh, that would be cool <laughs> that's insane <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah it was i don't know it's like a paradox or something i'm not too sure familiar with it but if there is life, then they're saying, where is it? So if you reach that stage where you're able to teleport or travel to different planets, then how come they haven't made it here yet? 
Yes. That kind of thing. So yeah, I, I, there's a whole different, there's a whole lecture of that. I'm I sure. mean, there was this whole like Area 51 thing, <laughs> what, like about five years ago. That was probably the last thing. Oh, people have been spotting UFOs, but I think that's um, photoshopped or, you know, yeah. video edited. UFO so Phoenix, yeah. there's no actual evidence, is yeah. there? Nothing solid, is there? No. People are like speculating that. It's like Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah, the Sasquatch. No, no, my favorite departments. Astrology is like physics, very much the study, more like physics. I definitely love chemistry and biology and the weird and quirky things you can do with that. About that, I was I was reading today, it's just how things work. That's really that's what that's what really piqued my interest. And also studying science, the good thing about it is like the ordinary can become the extraordinary. Wow. Yeah. So like you look at your hand and like you see a hand, but if you understand like the biology behind it, you see like the different layers of defense, like the blood vessels and that, like the different types of bones. And, you know, even my favorite, the smaller you go, you look into the cells and everything that goes on inside the cell stops becoming such an ordinary thing and something actually really quite incredible. So that's what science does for me is it makes something ordinary, turns into something quite extraordinary. Yeah. And if everything becomes extraordinary, then... Do you think science is facts or do you think it's like um, personal opinion? I think it's facts. Mm. Yeah. And, and people say science has been wrong before. And it has. Like, it used to, we used to think MSG was bad for you. But it was almost like it turns out it's just a bunch of racist scientists because <laughs> MSG came from China. Because that's the thing. You can't listen to every scientist because some have been wrong. Mm, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> So it shakes the faith, doesn't it? It does. But I think that scientists are getting a lot better now because of like technology and, and everything to their advantage. Um, and principles and a much stronger peer review system as you go forward. Mm. And like I know that scientists have like you've been wrong in the past for sure. Absolutely. But they're also just like uh, a role in civil society. It's like accountants get it wrong. And yeah. like bank tellers, they get it wrong. And carpenters, they get it wrong. And scientists... Uh, kind of your best shot a lot of effort in science goes towards predicting things yeah and scientists do give their best shot at predicting things and it has been wrong before um, but that's their job to predict the things and so I don't think you can have a personal opinion that overrides the evidence they find yes about predicting something even if that prediction is wrong you've paid them this is their best shot this is well, society's best shot at the best course of action which, yeah. which is the ultimate in my sense, the final full stop in the argument against climate change is like, it could be all wrong, it could be all fake, it might happen naturally, but the scientists, the people you've paid to predict, um, this, is they, this is what they recommend is the best course of action. So do you think the ice cubes or the ice, whatever, uh, what are they called? The ice... Glaciers? Ice melts? Or... Yeah, yeah, just like ice melting mm-hmm. is, is true. Yeah, very much so. Um, Triple J recently had a guest member on, and he was from... No, I said I forgot the islands. Uh, he's from a group of islands that are actively losing housing to rising shore levels and they're losing a decrease in fishing in his local village as well um, due to, I think it was ocean acidification or warming temperatures, I think that was it. Uh, so yeah, it actually is happening. Um, hasn't affected the rich as much as... Well, I mean, the rich others. are going on the shore though. So they're yeah. actually getting real estate on the beach yeah so, so it I'm, should affect them first it so. should affect them and that's i mean that's one thing confusing fan. how is it affecting yeah like his houses must be right on the water um 
in order to notice that because I like, we're from the coast or <laughs> your dad's from the coast and I grew up on the coast I haven't noticed the water coming up significantly like, significantly at all yet um, so and it's like David Attenborough said until it affects you personally you can't really empathise with it yes. until you empathise with it you can't really fix it so I think that can be a tricky thing about climate change is that we won't notice the damage until a lot of damage has been done do you think there will be a lot of damage done yeah. in how many years? I think the damage is already starting. Um, mm. like, I do believe that person from uh, that person from the, on the radio heard from Triple J. Um, I'm not not a proper scientific opinion, but it seems a weird thing to make up. <laughs> um, it's just, I think it's going to affect us in ways that we never really predict. So there's I have one example I learned from uni. There was like this beetle in a pine tree and so there's a beetle and it would dig into pine trees and they wake up at certain temperatures and because it's gotten a little hotter they're waking up a little bit earlier yeah so the season for recovery for the pine tree because it's a parasitic beetle the season for recovery from the pine tree is getting shorter and shorter so the pine trees are taking more and more damage because the beetles are being awake longer so it's just you would never think about it um think about that one little degree um can cause such a massive change between a relationship or a species and, a par- and its parasite. Right. And on top of that, like if you have water at negative one and you have water at zero or even 0.1, that's ice to water. Yes, yeah, that's a huge a difference. Huge difference. So one degree, scary. <laughs> um, what do you think of pollution? Uh, yes, it exists. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously it exists. Yeah. Um, like polluting air, yeah. uh, people dropping plastic harming the ocean yeah well what do i think of it um i think it sucks uh australia could use a better recycling system um i hesitate to reference japan japan here because they handle it by burning it which is pretty bad for uh, air pollution but they do have like five different recycling bins (laughs) and they are very strict on it Um, they will often reject uh, bags if it's got cross contamination so there's different types of recycling like paper yeah, right. metal compost um, and then just a general that doesn't fit either and if they find like a little bit of metal in the compost they'll reject the bag and you have to keep that trash for an extra week and it's a full on thing yeah um, and Australia is a little bit loosey goosey without recycling I feel it's just the culture itself it's I feel like we rarely get the recycling right like apparently the label has to be taken off and I just don't think we have the culture or perhaps the education or the care factor around it to really recycle yeah. properly. I don't think people really care about yeah. it. Yeah. So where should we be putting those labels and stuff? They go in the red bin. Right. So you got your milk carton. Theoretically, yep. you're meant to take. Oh, sorry. You're meant to take off the label. Yep. And then put wash it out. Take off the cap. The cap and the bottle go in the yellow bin, and then your label goes in the right in the red bin because the label can't be recycled. See, I don't think that average, you know, Aussie bogan would be like, oh, I'm going to yeah. take this off. I'm going to rinse it. I'm going to, you know. And that's what, I'm, that's what I'm talking about in terms of what Australia can do for its pollution. Um, and just help. Just, there can be like an improvement in education for how to actually recycle. So do you think that's one way of uh, dealing with pollution? Yeah. Is there another way that comes to the top of your head? Uh, I'm... <laughs> biased i love trees sounds simple sounds silly but i mean that's how you're breathing right now yeah i don't know <laughs> i think um, 
everyone had a lot of people have a favorite char- a charity. Mine's like a Cozier. It's like a search engine online, mm. and you type in. They don't ask for any money. You just type in, I don't know, dogs, and you, once you type that in, the first three searches will be ads, and the rest will be like your standard Wikipedia page for dogs and whatever, pet barn or whatever. But though you get revenue from the first three ads, and they put that revenue towards planting trees. Really? So it's a charity where you don't have to give anything. Um, shout out the search engine. Oh, it's a cozy. I say E-C-O-S-I-A. Okay. And it's just becomes your search engine. Um, yeah. I've planted over 116 trees um, just by using the search engine. So I've, I've used it for a little while. It takes about 45 searches to generate enough revenue to plant a tree. Okay. Yeah. But considering the amount of search as Google gets per day. Imagine if that was translated, you could almost replant the Amazon. But you know Google's not replanting any trees. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> uh, so yeah, tree planting, recycling. Um, but yeah. Yeah, more planting initiatives would be awesome. But just because I love planting trees. I planted a couple of trees in Narragul. Okay. Um, it's also they're just really cool because you can come back to them. Yeah. Um, so like, were they oak? No, they were natives. Ooh, <laughs> nice. Because uh, I put them in pretty rough soil. Yeah. No, nah, thank you. Thank you, Matt, for coming on. Uh, best wishes for everything going on, uh, you know, in Mentone and, and studying and everything. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. No, good no luck problem. with your own studies. Thank you. Well, I mean, I'm starting back up tomorrow, so yeah. Yeah. we'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.